Hello, I'm Johnny Bravo. Today you're going under the musical influence of today's guest, Boyd Headley, on Under the Influence with DJ Johnny Bravo. Boyd and I work together. Boyd uh, played drums in a band, and we're going to find all about his musical self right now. John, when I was around four or five years old, I received a toy drum set because I beat on everything in the house. My parents figured that'd be a way to have an outlet. So we'd have company over, and I'd pull out the drum set and start to entertain everyone. My mother would put the drum set back in my bedroom. I'd drag it back out, back and forth. So flash forward a few years, I joined the school band. I was about sixth grade, I guess. I was able to start actually playing the drum set, and I really learned you know, to play the, the drum kit in school. A few years later, I discovered that my neighbors had a band and no drummer. I got up the nerve to walk over one day and I was like, hey, you guys have a band, but where's your drummer? Before they really said anything, and I'm not remembering everything they said there, well, I'm a drummer. <laughs> and suddenly I was in a band, you know, and that started 20 years or so of a musical career playing all over, playing everything from gospel to southern rock to jazz to R&B funk that was my life for just a really long time so boyd beating on everything in the house back and forth uh you're you're a drummer now you're in a band and the band's name is the avengers is that right a few iterations so actually the band that i'm describing right now turned into a band called the avengers many years ago probably has a little more significance in the entertainment industry but that was one of the first bands that I actually played in was called Avengers. And I had just a number of bands that, and some of them were similar musicians that were um, just iterations of that, that same band. So what were some of the other names of the bands that you had besides the Avengers? Do you remember any of the other names of the bands? Oh, well, I mean, there were there were a few. Really, you know, there, there was a, kind of an R&B band I played in called Total Control. There was a, a band that I really played and did you know, more traveling and play with that was called Ex Lover. It was fronted by a guitarist named Mike Latham. I'm sure I could pull out some more names. <laughs> there were a few. Some of those are really like jazz ensembles and trios and things like that, depending on what kind of music, you know, that I was playing at the time. And that's just a wide range of music from Southern rock to jazz to R&B to funk to gospel. I mean, you're just playing everything in the kitchen sink. It's no wonder that you were beating on everything in the house just to get the you know rhythm for all of those bands. Well, I just had to let it out. And that's true. The gospel band, my, some of my schoolmates had a gospel band. Again, this seems to be a common problem. They didn't have a drummer. So they approached me one day and said, hey, we want you to play in our band, our gospel band. Now, I will tell you one little thing about that. That group was called the Bells of Joy. Really a great group of musicians and singers growing up in the country in Virginia. That was the first band I played in where we actually, we were going out to black churches. I was the only white member of the band. We really played. <laughs> we we had a really great, great band. But it was always a, an experience whenever we went to a new church, especially an old Southern Baptist church. Uh, they, we took a little getting used to for them. You grew up in Virginia. What part of Virginia did you grow up in? You were out in the sticks, but you weren't really out in the sticks. Is that right? I thought we were in the sticks. Northern Neck, Richmond County, miles from anywhere. I'll, I'll, give, I'll paint you a picture. When I was waiting for the, the school bus to come in the mornings, I was looking across a cow pasture, and it was nothing for a cow to jump the fence. So we were in the country just traveling around with these bands and a lot of people don't realize that you know when you're playing in a band like this now it's not that big of a deal but back then all this stuff going on regionally with the sounds where nowadays you know you just get in a band and you're playing all kinds of stuff they really don't have a label but back where you were in the area that you grew up it was more about 
like this is the area that we're coming from. So like, for example, like REM, you know, coming out of Athens, uh, Georgia, that's like a big Southern area, kind of close to Atlanta, but people don't realize the kind of regionality that music has, right? Yeah, well, that's true. Most of my early playing in a lot of just venues that were Southern rock, it definitely makes a difference what you're playing, depending on where you are. We played a lot of Southern rock. We had, a, you know, played a lot of uh, like Clapton, things like that. And people really appreciated that because you could play a little bit of country, and, and they loved that. You know, we're playing the Eagles, we're playing Leonard Skinner. You don't want to veer too far into pop when you have an audience that's really, you know, loves their Southern rock. While we're on the subject of that, let's go into uh, music discoveries. When did you first discover music? Basically, every morning, waiting for the school bus to come, we had the radio on. Now, my parents were big country music fans. So growing up, I listened to a lot of country music. I was not a big fan all the time, at least not then. Uh, it really wasn't until later that I started to gain an appreciation for just great songwriters, people like Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash. Those guys are really incredible songwriters, incredible singers. The older I got, the more I appreciated the song and the storytelling. Put those three up along with someone like Leonard Cohen, who is completely different. You've got some really great songwriters and just songs that you know stand the test of time. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this, how big of an influence country music had on, on both of our lives. I always say that I hate country, not that I hate country, but something that I would not play DJ and, and or classical. And you are kind of in the same boat with that. Not that you really hated country, but you didn't realize that you liked as country as much as you do. The influence of country, and that really goes back to how music developed probably over the last 120 years. I grew to, to really like a lot of blues and a lot of country, and I started to realize that these music influences influenced the bands that I, I was listening to growing up. You know, it wasn't just a country, it's just, you know, like an isolated, you know, kind of a genre, and it didn't have influence. Country, blues influenced country, country influenced blues, all of that created jazz and blues and the, th the kinds of country music that we probably grew up listening to. But there were roots that were really deep in all of those styles of music. And when you really look at it, you realize it's all the same melting pot. Look at the Rolling Stones and they idolized and loved moods by Act Like Muddy Waters, you know, the blues guys. They love that stuff. But now if you talk to somebody about the Rolling Stones, they probably really don't remember or have no idea that some of their biggest influences were really the, the great blues players of the, you know, 40s and 50s and 60s moving into the 70s. Yeah, you really see those musical influences with the Rolling Stones and other bands from the UK, you know, even the Beatles growing up on a lot of those blues singers and songwriters as well. And then country with that PBS special on country, you know, you look at the June Carter cash, Carter sisters, and that father would go out and pay and get the royalties on songs throughout Virginia. Just you don't really think about the blues aspect moving into the jazz aspect with the country aspect. A lot of people don't think about that. You're playing all of those beating the drums and, and setting the tone. That's basically one of the instruments that they talk about a lot in that country music special was, you know, the drums. Regardless of the, the genre of music, you know, drums, and you really want to go back. The further you go back, the more you're going to hear a drum beating a rhythm. Because the rhythm of the drum is really your heartbeat. That's one of the things that uh, either is great about drummers or sometimes other musicians say, don't play so fast. The more energy you get, sometimes the more excited you get, and then you have, you have to be able to contain that. And it, but at the same time, drums really are the heartbeat of a song and a band. There's a, a really good documentary that beat goes on or something like that, but they talk about Charlie and some of the other drummers, and you really don't have the appreciation for the drummer because they're the ones in the back. You know, they're sitting in the back of the house, and you're like, what's the big deal? Who cares? 
but they really are keeping the rhythm and they really are thinking about the timing. They really are thinking about the band, you know, with Charlie and the Rolling Stones. I mean, he's just back there doing his thing, sometimes not even cracking a smile. And sometimes he was, but he was just on it. You know, I know that's one of the the drummers that you idolize. Is there any other drummers out there? I mean, this is a side question that you know, you really idolized back in the day or thought about or got your style from? Well, when, when you mentioned Charlie Watt, he he always said he was a jazz drummer. You'd never know that by just listening to a, a Rolling Stones song. But he was a jazz drummer. That's how we he sort of approached the instrument. I mean, there have been so many, but one of the things I really became interested in growing up and, and playing music was the roots of that instrument. But I will tell you, in jazz pre-rock and roll, there were really three drummers that were considered the cream of the crop, the, the best drummers in the world. And those were Buddy Rich. Everybody knows about Buddy Rich being a really flamboyant drummer. Gene Krupa, probably everybody remembers or they know the song Sing, Sing, Sing. That's something he was really known for is, you know, just being very flamboyant and, a, and an entertainer. Louis Belson. Louis Belson was one of the best drummers that just ever lived. He also did something really interesting. When he was about 14 years old, he drew a picture of and then later invented and pioneered the double bass drum technique. Just the whole idea of having two bass drums or range in the instrument and that gave birth really to heavy metal. He was he was the drummer that started that and every drummer that played any kind of thrash metal, they owed Louis Belson a lot to their style. He was a great drummer. He was also the very melodic. He, 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 when he played drums, he played music. He didn't just beat on the drums. I'll tell you just one story about him. I actually got to meet him and watch him play a, a jazz festival in uh, Pennsylvania. I was probably about, about maybe a foot behind him on the other side of the curtain from where he was playing. I watched everything he did. It was really a clinic, especially when he got to his, his drum solo. When he finished, uh, you know, of course, he got his applause. He came out as, as a fan, and he was just a musical hero. We had, we had actually from musicians back, you know, backstage watching him play. And I just kind of grabbed him and gave him a hug and said, look, we love you. <laughs> you're, you're just, you're an idol. He was just a really a good guy. He was an incredible musician. He used to actually go out to schools, you know, and colleges all around the country and do clinics and really tried to pass along his style, but also just the love of music and how to make uh, drums a melodic instrument. Man, to meet your idol, playing the instrument that you play, being, you know, just sometimes just a fly on the wall, way up in the stands, but you're sitting there backstage hanging out with him, got a chance to give him a hug and all that. What a what a super, super story about your musical influences, being able to just have that snapshot and that story that you'll always be able to tell with your idol. Right place, right time. What was your first song that you remember? First song, when I think about listening to music, maybe I think the earliest song I recall was Mama Told Me Not to Come, which was by a band called Three Dog Night. Of course, years after listening to that song, I became you know a fan of the band. As I'm thinking about it, I think it might also be Hotel California by the Eagles. I had an aunt that just passed recently. She had Hotel California. She had Tom Jones' album. She, has all kinds, she was a pretty hip aunt, you know, to her musical influences. And one of those two songs was, I just have a memory of listening to both of them. I'm not sure which was first. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Hotel California. That's like one of my daughter's favorite songs. I don't know if you've seen the Shang-Chi movie. I won't ruin it for you, but there's a really funny thing about Hotel California in the Shang-Chi that you have to look for when you go to watch that movie. Those guys, man, the Eagles really had it together. They are really great songwriters. All, all of those songs that they had out, like that album, 
especially Hotel California. The music was great, but just listen to the lyric. Those songs were really deep. They had a lot of meaning, and I think that's why they're still being played today. You're absolutely right in that they still are being played today, probably just as popular as they were. I mean, they're still touring, I believe. A lot of their members have passed on and have gone to other bands still playing music, so that really speaks to the history of the Eagles and their songwriting. You know, their harmonies, they had really great harmonies that they would always come with on, on their records as well. Yep, they, they were um, a complete band, they really were. All right, well, we're going to take a pause here for a second, and we'll be right back. So hang on, Under the Influence. We are back. I'm Johnny Bravo. You're going under the musical influence of today's guest, Boyd Headley, on Under the Influence with DJ Johnny Bravo. Right, we're going to talk about that long-distance dedication, Boyd. So we're talking about the Eagles. I'll just say, usually I was on the Play This Song uh, side of the dedication, so, you know, we always had people say, play my, you know, whatever the song is. One of the, my favorite to play for people was Desperado talking about the Eagles. And I put the Eagles up as some of the best songwriters of our time, really. If I had to make a dedication, I would say also Willie Nelson's Always On My Mind. That guy can just really write a song. All of those songs are really love songs about imperfect people just trying to do their best and make their way through, you know. So there are a lot of songs like that, but Desperado really stands out. I think also because it was a song that we did play a lot as a cover. It was a song that we did get a lot of requests for. There was a lot of meaning behind that song. Desperado, that's one song that was covered and recovered by a lot of bands, a lot of uh, singers covered that song. Such a great song. Willie Nelson, you know, talking about that documentary that we were talking about earlier with the country music, you know, such a great songwriter. He finally, after so many years, somebody talked to him and said, don't sell your songs. You're not making any money. You want to keep that song, keep those royalties. And he was able to do that with the Patsy Cline song. He's still around today, probably because he listened. I don't know if it was Chris Christopherson or who it was that told him, but one of his buddies said, hey man, you need to keep those royalties. That, that's a big thing that you don't understand in the music industry. You're not making money unless you're writing those songs or you have an impact with those songs. And Willie Nelson was one of those guys. Yeah, I remember that. He gave away some of his songs. He made up for it <laughs> over eight decades or so. He definitely did uh, make up for it. We are better off. If you uh, think uh, you know you know Willie Nelson and you're just looking at him and what he looks like today, take a look at him from back in the 50s. 50s and 60s. He's had a career like a Johnny Cash where he's just been in every single solitary decade that we've had and he just continues to go strong. I mean, he's still releasing albums and singles even to this day, which is just uh, an awesome thing for a songwriter and, and a singer. Yep, definitely. Just ask one of his good friends, uh, Snoop Dogg. He's a good guy. <laughs> when you can say you got a friend in Snoop Dogg, you're speaking pretty highly of uh, your friends when you say, hey, Snoop Dogg is my buddy. You're definitely crossing over the generation gap there. We're going to talk about concerts now and what's your first concert that you went to or the first concert that you might remember. I, I remember it like it was 30 years ago. So the first concert I actually remember going to was Molly Hatchet, the Molly Hatchet Flirting with Disaster Tour. It was May 9th, 1980 at King's Dominion. So it was close here locally. I'll tell you, the thing that really 
stuck with me for all those years was when I first heard Molly Hatchet, that first song, the first drop of the drum beat, the band was so tight, it sounded just like an album. You couldn't really tell the difference. They were just such good musicians. You really, you know, it was just surreal. Like I was inside listening to the album, but it was a live concert event. It was just very powerful experience. Yeah, I often go on Setlist FM on the web and look at concerts at various sites around Richmond, Kings Dominion being one of them, and looking at some of those shows, just thinking, man, if I could have just been at that show or this show or that show, just a fly on the wall. But when you are releasing an album, you are like on fire you have that number one album or you know it's it's climbing up the charts and you're doing a show and you go to that show it's nothing more powerful in the world than having that experience with that band even remembering somebody that you know you might not think about in your mind's eye like molly hatchet that was a pretty special concert for me anyway it was really not only the first concert but i actually went with the band we were talking about it was part of that experience was sharing with other musicians and part of it was just seeing a a band of really that caliber on top of that being your first time at a live especially outdoor kind of a concert event we're going to take a look at uh, music purchases now. I'm not sure if you remember what your first music purchase was. Was it a tape or a vinyl or stream? And there's all kinds of ways to get music now. What was your first experience with getting something at the music store, the record store? Referring back to my earlier comments of listening to a lot of country music, the first album I purchased was vinyl. It was ACDC, Back in Black. I had been listening to country music on the radio, you know, ready for school, all that for a couple years, few years. Put the needle on that record. All I can say is that changed my perspective. (laughs) You might imagine it expanded my whole musical palette, you know, introduced me to a different kind of music. Then I'll I'll tell you, just a few years later, I bought a car. So when you buy a car, you got to have a, a stereo. I found a stereo in the trading post. Turned out it was a pretty good trip. It was up to Northern Virginia. I'm down in Warsaw, Virginia, a couple hours of drive. But when I bought the car, the stereo that I bought to put in the car, turns out was a quadraphonic car stereo. Now, I don't know if anybody knows what a quadraphonic stereo is right now, but basically it was all the music was put on four separate tracks so that you could actually turn one channel on and just listen to the drums. So you can turn just the, the channel on to listen to vocals. It was really a cool thing. It didn't last that long. What it really brought me was music because along with the stereo came a couple of boxes of eight track quadraphonic tapes. Everything from Sly and the Family Stone, Blood, Sweat and Tears, Backman Turner Overdrive, Deep Purple. It felt like everything, you know, that I'd never listened to was on those tapes. And so that was just a really kind of a dump of so many different musical influences. And it just opened my eyes to, to a lot of music that I had not heard up to that point. People don't give tape the respect that it deserves, but quadraphonic, being able to just listen to the drums for somebody who plays that instrument or guitar. I never really understood that until I worked on the cruise ship and I had this one guy that we worked with, Craig, and he would dissect the music. He would listen to every instrument so he could learn that instrument to be able to play that. He would program his equipment, be in the middle of of the hallway, basically. That's what he would always say. I'm in the middle of a hallway playing the music. Play for everyone and he's doing like Pink Floyd and all this kind of stuff to to be able to have those quantiphonic tapes that was like you were like probably a kid in a candy store or the best Christmas gift that you ever got driving up to Northern Virginia you probably didn't know what you were even getting into no and, and once I got it installed and once I saw those tapes I, I would just sit in my car and listen to that stuff for hours <laughs> and not even go inside 
Yeah, there's nothing like it uh, in the world just uh, being, you know, one man, you know, with the machine. And, and that could be your drums. That could be your stereo. Uh, people don't really understand when we say we have musical appreciation. They're like, oh, that's nice. You know, that's a nice little hobby to have, boy. You know, when you're playing drums, that's that's nice. You know, you're doing you're doing good over there in the bands and and playing at the churches and and, and you know, playing Leonard Skinner and all that stuff. That's, that's cute. And, you know, you got your car and you got your quadraphonic sound. You know, that's nice. They don't understand the level of commitment that we have and the passion and the love and the admiration that we have to this thing called music. Why we're pointing to it. It's just such an awesome thing. I'm sure, like I said, that that box opened several worlds for you. Yeah, that was totally unexpected gift. But also every one of those uh, tapes was like I said, it was like a new world. It really was. It was stuff that I didn't know, you know, even what to look for sometimes. So it definitely opened my eyes up. It did that. It helped me to appreciate, though, also, this is, as a profession, it's a lot of work. All those bands I'm talking about, people think that playing in a band, even, you know, just a small band, takes a lot of work, a lot of practice. When I was at a certain point, I was, you know, transcribing all the songs that I was, that I was playing because that was helping me to, to be better at what I'm doing. But that was like all day, all night. There really wasn't a lot of extra time. So all those stories about the rock and roll life is really, it's a work. It's a, it's a job. <laughs> yeah, and it's not a nine to five job either. It does take a lot of work. Did you take any of those uh, influences from that uh, quadraphonic box? You know, you said you jotted them down. Did you take any of those things back and incorporate it? I don't know if you were in a band at that time or if you were playing drums at that time or not, did you take that stuff back to the bands or did that kind of seep into the bands that you were playing with? How did that box of music kind of um, not only expand your mind by it probably just blew your mind, but how did it expand it, you know, going into your bands and playing the drums and stuff like that? Every song I heard, I absorbed, you know, so like you listen to Sly and the Family Stone, you can't forget that can't unhear that so whatever kind of music i was playing at the time always try to bring out hey let's play this song even though it's not necessarily you know our genre it, we had a, a female singer was like let's play this as a great you know vocal you know a great lyric i always tried to do that i was always trying to reach out a little beyond you know what we were doing at the time but that was just you know what i liked i just wanted to play what i liked usually it worked out usually it worked out because again you know music is a family even if it's a little different genre it's a little different style you, know, you find that, you know, the roots are the same. Talking about, you know, your first purchase there, the ACDC back in black, you know, I I sometimes don't, I don't know why, I don't give ACDC the credit that they deserve. When you play that album on vinyl and you have a pretty decent copy and a pretty decent sound system, you know, speakers make all the difference. A lot of people just, I just got, I just hooked up whatever kind of speakers I'm I had my wife's cousin do that. I went out and bought her a pair of speakers. Like, you need a pair of speakers to listen to your Pink Floyd. You like Pink Floyd. You need to get a good pair of speakers. ACDC, the same thing. You know, playing that on a system in on vinyl, and you got good speakers, and you're listening to that, those types of things just kind of blow you away when you can hear the, the hi-hat or you can hear, you know, the bass uh, guitar. You can um, hear the screeching and the singing or or whatever that is. I mean, it, it brings out the spider sense. It brings out the hair on your arms and get those goosebumps. And you're like, what in the hell is this? What am I, what, what just happened? Right. It's like, did I just, I just crashed into uh, ACDC or whatever this latest thing is. Uh, yes, that's exactly right. I mean, for me, that's exactly what happened. They just, they really knocked me out. 
when I first heard ACDC. Yeah, you just had a, it, it's like uh, you just crashed into this wall of music and energy. Maybe you thought you heard it before, but, you know, they captured it on vital. And like you say, when you capture something on vital, it's, it's almost more real than real sometimes. Yeah, people don't also realize either that when you're in a band and you're, you want a record, you want to have that thing that you sell at the, at the show, you want a t-shirt, you want these things. Back in the day, people don't realize now you can just go and you're on you know, Apple, snap your fingers and you're, you're doing stuff. You can do it at home. A lot of things you could do at home, but it was all tape and this and that. Trying to get that track out or that uh, tape out or whatever it was. Did you guys, you know, in any of your bands, in the Avengers or any of the other bands, did you ever record any material and actually put it out on wax yourself? I actually didn't really market anything out. I, well, I'll say this. A lot of bands in the 70s, 60s, whatever, they played like Van Halen's a great example of a great band. They were like a cover band, even up until their first couple albums, really. It was a different experience trying to get your material recorded. A couple of bands I played in, we did do certainly original material. We were really going around playing everywhere we could play and playing the best music, music that we loved. And that was sort of our, our core of what we did. Yeah, not really recording material in the way that, like you said, people can do today. Uh, you can't just do it in your basement where you couldn't. Speaking of Van Halen, you can totally tell the separation, I mean, of, uh, you know, Van Roth and, and Van Hagar. If you, if you take a look at uh, Van Roth and you see all the cover songs that they did, they didn't do a lot of that with, with, with Hagar. And it's because that was like their roots. That's where they came from, you know, from Pasadena. They were playing a lot of those cover songs and doing a lot of those things. I mean, Dave was wild anyway. With, with, with Hagar, he was wild too, but it was with, with Van Hagar. He kind of had calmed down a little bit, you know, by then. You know, you see a lot of that in the roots of the band. But playing live is another way to get it out there, which most people don't understand either. Like, I'm, I just want a copy of it. I don't listen to it in my house. When you can see and hear a band live, it, it sticks with you. Well, yeah, and Van Halen, they were, I mean, they were a party band. thing about them, I guess, when I, when I was listening to them when I was younger, not until Jump that they really, you know, got on my radar. Look at that, you know, a rock and roll band, and now they're playing keyboards. Think about that a little more. Really, one of the, because everybody has their argument for who's the greatest guitar player. You know, you have one of the greatest guitar players, and now he's playing keyboards, and also he's playing guitar and plays one of the, probably the best solos you hear uncredited on Michael Jackson's Beat It, right? Just because he loved to play. And that's just it. If you love to play, you love to play. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back, so hang on. We are back. I'm Johnny Bravo. You're going under the musical influence of today's guest, Boyd Headley, on Under the Influence with DJ Johnny Bravo. All right, Boyd, now we're into the tough questions here. What is your favorite song? I talked about the songwriting. I think that really has a lot of impact on me. Anthem by Leonard Cohen is one of the really great songs, and beyond that, poets of our time. I'd put him right up there with you know any songwriter in the last 50 years. Anthem, if anybody hasn't heard that song, there's just a, there's a lyric that really goes pretty deep for me. And basically what that is, is ring the bells that still can ring, forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. 
That was a really deep spiritual kind of lyric. When you listen to it and you listen to it, I think the older you get, the more you listen to songs like that, the more you really appreciate what the meaning is behind. However, any, any Leonard Cohen song is tied for that. Again, Cohen's like, he was just like Bob Dylan, you know, when Bob Dylan was really the poet laureate of rock and roll. Uh, Leonard Cohen was right there, equal to him. Bands, though, you asked about. Every blues band legend. Muddy Waters, B.B. King, John Lee Hooker, Albert King. Then every band that they influenced. We already talked about it. You know, Eric Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Rolling Stones. All of those older players influenced that generation that really revolutionized music. And because I really like them, Van Halen. The thing about Eddie Van Halen is that he actually changed the instrument. He transformed the guitar physically. He actually modified and and built his own guitars and he transformed the instrument for everyone and like i said then just for fun he goes out and he plays one of the coolest solos ever i want to put a pause on one thing there about the uh, being one with the instrument i want to come back to that but i want to talk about leonard cohen for a minute and i don't know if you know this story and i'm you know as much as we've known each other for a good while i don't know if i've ever told you this story but if you've ever watched the movie Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater, he plays a, a pirate radio DJ, and his name is Happy Harry Hardon because that's where the school that they went, the initials of the school was HHH, so he decided that was going to be his radio name, Happy Harry Hardon. He plays a lot of Cohen in his pirated radio station. He plays a lot of other crazy crap too, but he plays a lot of Cohen. You know, he would turn the lights down. I think his studio was in the basement or attached to the garage or something like that. And so he would turn the lights down, put on some Cohen. And I mean, that music is just, not only is it so soulful, I mean, it's just so soulful. It speaks to your soul, but it, it, it also, you're talking about the lyrics too, but it's just, it's like a, it's like sitting at, on the beach and the waves are just coming in. A lot of people listen to, you know, waves when they go to, to sleep at night it has that kind of calming effect that, you know, Leonard Cohen has that kind of calming effect. Would you, would you agree with that? A big fan of Leonard Cohen. And I kind of caught him late, you know, later in his career when I really started to appreciate him. But yeah, I mean, the lyrics that he writes are really a story that all of us can tell. And by the way, I learned something today. <laughs> I, I didn't, we'd never talked about Cohen. You could take any of his songs and you'd have the same reaction, you know, Hallelujah, uh, anthem, Dance Me to the End of Love. Every song he wrote and sang was just epic, I think. And it just moved people. And that's why he's probably one of the most covered songwriters of ever. So yeah, I definitely definitely had that same experience. He's at the top of the list. There are just so many good musicians and there's so many good songwriters, but very few people reach the pinnacle. And, and he did that. We're still talking about him. That's right. We're still talking about him. The other thing about that song, Hallelujah, that people don't understand, and sometimes people don't understand with lyrics and music, and they just, oh, I play it, you know, I like the beat, you know, and da-da-da-da, and I just want to hear, you know, the, the drum line, and they're not really listening. Sometimes they're not really listening to the lyrics. Other times they're listening to the beat, Other, you know, other times. But the song, Hallelujah, and there's other songs. I think the song, Take Me to Church, people play that as a spiritual song in church. And if you really listen to the lyrics for Hallelujah, or take me to church. And if you knew what the song was actually about, if you read what, what Lennon Cohen wrote the song for, and you read uh, the take me to church song, what they actually wrote the song for, you might not be playing those songs in church. That's something that sometimes I think is lost in translation with, you know, music that people don't really understand. 
And, you know, we're sitting there going, why are we playing this song? You know, you don't have the respect for the song. Why are we listening to this song right now? You know what I mean? It's like, this is not the time. This is a great song, but it's not meant for, you know, this, this space. One of the things I think when you listen to a song like that, one of those Leonard Cohen songs, lots of other songs that have a similar kind of genesis, it really gets to the core of our humanity. And all I can say is, listen, some songwriters are going to really grab you and some won't, but some are pretty universal in terms of they're going to pull some strings that not many people can pull from lyrics. With that experience, you know, the Pump Up the Volume, Christian Slater, that really had me want to be on the radio. That really had me want to be a DJ. That really had me want to steal the air. We talk about equipment all the time. We talk about things getting easier. We talk about recording. We talked about it a little bit earlier with people being able to just, hey, it's, you know, my, my song's on Spotify or it's on, you know, Apple Tunes or, you know, whatever. We, you know, we would kill for a tape or a CD back in the day, but I, I put a pin in it. And this is what I want to come back to because you talked about Eddie Van Halen and you talked about how he transformed the instrument. People that love the music and love the instrument, sometimes they understand, but the people that are out there in the general public, they don't understand. He made a whole guitar. And you were telling me a story today about something that you made. Hopefully this isn't your end. I don't want to steal the thunder from the end. Can you talk a little bit about you transforming your instrument? Because you talked about it earlier with someone transforming and, and designing the bass drum and revitalizing you know, metal music as we know it. You did something that had an impact on someone else. Can you, can you elaborate on that? So there's a story, a little bit of a story there. One of the bands I played with were based out of down towards Virginia Beach. At some point, I had, you know, through musician friends of musician friends, we had gotten together with a couple of the Wooten brothers. I don't know if you're familiar with the Wooten brothers, but they're very well-known musicians. Victor Wooten has played all over the world. He actually plays with a band called Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones, and they've been playing, I think, for 30 years together. Uh, And he's one of the great bass players. Uh, His brother, Roy Wooten, is a drummer. Actually, he had an interest early on, you know, in terms of utilizing technology to improve the instrument. And so think back, you know, in the 80s, there was a lot of things going on with drum machines, electronic drum set, that whole kind of technology and that wave of instruments was happening back in the mid 80s to early 90s. Well, actually, so you you mentioned earlier concert, a Miami Sound Machine. I saw them too at uh, King's Dominion. And one of the things that happened is I think the drummer was featured and he came out to just sort of, you know, just not really solo, but just to kind of add to the entertainment aspect. But he had electronic, like a a drum, well, I'm sorry, electronic guitar, and it was pretty basic, but just he was able to play just the drum beat on this electronic guitar, which basically was a, you know, way to to tap and play a bass drum and a snare drum on a wooden instrument. So I thought about that and said, that looked pretty cool. I wonder if I could make one of those, you know, that's neat. Got drum machines. I had I had a full you know kit you know electronic drums and electronic drum machine and so went back and started figuring out how to make something like that and I actually worked with my grandfather because he was a just a, a tinkerer. He would you know he built. I never rode on a bicycle that he didn't build by the way. So we we constructed one looked just like a guitar and it was I was able to you know tap out a beat. So I had that with me when I was with this group of musician friends and we were you know just kind of had a you know kind of a get together. It wasn't anything just you know of course when you get musicians together people are going to start playing music right somebody started playing 
It was, I think it was a Prince song. And at the time, mid to late 80s, Prince was pretty big. It was a big influence on me in terms of just at that time, he was a great player. He was a great writer. You know, I was following a lot of his music. So I happened to know the, the beat and the, the song well enough. And so I started playing it on that instrument that we made. One of the people that was at that gathering was Roy Wooten. And he started asking me questions. He said, who does your wires? Like, you know, who sets up your drum equipment? And because there's a lot of chords to connect to, you know, different parts of the kit, and you had to connect that to the drum machine, and you, you had to put it together to make it make sound. But anyway, and one of the other things he liked, you know, where'd you get that guitar drum? I explained to him, I you know, just kind of made it because there really wasn't anything, you know, out. It wasn't a commercially available kind of a thing. But he said, you know, I'm, I'm working on that. You know, I'm, he actually had created something. I don't think I know the name of it, but he had created his own instrument to be able to play drums on a guitar device. It's not the same as like a synthesizer that, you know, some people would play in the fashion of a guitar. Thought about that, and, and he actually went on and playing with Balafleck and the Flectos using that instrument, and he evolved that instrument, by the way, to go from just be able to play, you know, drums on a guitar-looking device to making it very melodic as well. So he really innovated that. But at that time, there wasn't really anything. So it's kind, it was kind of cool. Think about Virginia Beach. Around that time, this is a little bit before some folks like Pharrell came out. They were from the same area. A lot of the people I was sort of kicking around with at that time would go on to do really great things, but then I kind of got out of Dodge. <laughs> you know, I played and then decided to do some different things and move in a different direction. You never know. It's like what the path not taken, I guess, is the lesson. Yeah, we talked about it earlier today, uh, you know, when you were bringing up Pharrell and, and you were asking me about artists in, in the Richmond area. And I was saying, you know, we had Fighting Gravity and War. And of course, we have Dave Matthews Band and others that we can point to. And then down at the beach, a lot of, um, you know, besides Pharrell, you had Timberland and Magoo doing stuff. You had uh, Missy, Miss, Missy Misdemeanor Elliot. And that's hard to say if you're trying to say that three times fast. All of those people in some way or the other, you probably influenced a little bit because you influenced him and his music and it pushed their music. And, you know, that's what this whole thing is about. You don't realize how your music is, is influencing these other folks in your area or outside of your area. You know, you influenced Pharrell, I mean, in a roundabout sort of way. And you might have influenced Timberland and Magoo and Missy, Missy, Missy Misdemeanor Elliot. I'm trying to say that three times fast and I'm not going to be able to. Yeah, I'm not going to try. But yeah, all those people, Pharrell did a lot of producing for all those folks, I believe. And that was a movement, just like people talk about Minneapolis. When Prince was there, it really wasn't the music capital of the world, right? It wasn't the Mecca, but it was when Prince was there. <laughs> Prince definitely made it the Mecca. With the time, Jimmy uh, Jam and Terry Lewis, they went on to you know help Janet Jackson and carve that whole sound out. They were with the time. You know, he had Apollonia, you had Vanity Six, you had, you know, these different bands that he played for. But a lot of people probably don't really realize with Prince how many pseudonyms that he went under and how many songs that he wrote for other people. Sinead O'Connor did a, a cover of his. The Bangles uh, had Manic Monday. There's so many things that you don't even realize until you start diving a little deeper into the music that you find out these influences influence other people. And that whole movement kind of highlighted earlier the area that you're in and the regionality that you're in um, having that impact. And I don't know if it's as much as it is today. I mean, it, it still is a little bit. I mean, I, I look at influences on uh, that I like, like uh, 21 Pots, who I've told you about. They kind of still influence the, the uh, local scene in Columbus, but they're like more worldwide now. They kind of start quicker 
you don't really have that regional kind of following and that regional kind of thing going on for as long as you probably used to with a lot of these bands, like what you had to do with some of your bands, like the Avengers and others. Music is like an ocean to me. You, you have waves that develop, and then in, at a certain point in time, the water becomes a wave, and the wave just washes over everybody. You can see it, like like you said, the British invasion back in the, in the 60s. You can see it back in the 80s, and when Prince was really riding high on Purple Rain. These were like musical movements, really, and they influenced a lot of people. That Just like a wave is made of you know drops of water, these waves of creativity, they're an accumulation of a lot of people trying a lot of different things and then something really catches on and next thing you know you have a whole genre of music that you know wasn't there yeah i sometimes think about bands that i really like like the beastie boys or you know other bands that i grew up with think you know really hard sometimes like is somebody gonna remember this band like this is such a great band like rem you know they broke up and do people still remember them and and you know you have people that are still playing those records i got in the car the other day my daughter's playing rem i just had a smile on my face because i'm just like Man, she's she's playing REM. You know that's so cool. And but I, I I worry sometimes because you know are these bands and and are these you know artists that we're talking about are they still going to be known? People are still going to be playing them. I mean I think people are going to be playing Co- Cohen. See say Missy Missy Mini. I can't say that three times fast. It's it's hard. But I think people are going to be talking about these bands and these groups and these artists, Prince and Michael Jackson and you know all these kind of you know, movements that you have, like you talked about in music, it's just such an awesome thing to be a part of and to witness. But who is the next Michael Jackson? Who's the next Prince? Those are sometimes the things that excite me. Who's the next Eddie Van Halen? Seeing those people live and maybe catching them before they really hit. You're like, I got a chance to see them back when they were nobody, you know, at, at this little joint, wherever it was. I don't know if anybody's saying that about you, but you did have a influence in the locality of not just where you were, but you expanded it out further to the Virginia Beach area, which is just, I think, an awesome thing. Everybody I'd played with and I know right now, they went all over the country. Some of them went to Atlanta, some went down more towards Nashville, some went up to New York. You're right, all of those influences, we all influence each other. You know, music doesn't die. Technology is making that more and more and more real. But at the same time, people don't remember some of those folks that we're talking about that are just a few decades ago, but really had a great impact on the music they're listening to now. And they'll rediscover it. Just like I rediscovered Lennon Cohen, you know, for myself, or I rediscovered, wow, Louis Belson, when I discovered folks that I idolized and I tried to pattern my playing on, I realized, wow, I thought I had some great ideas, but I never thought of doing the things that they were doing. So we've been waiting for it. We've been building up to it. I know you're ready for it, and I know you're ready for this to be over. I applaud you, Boyd. I appreciate you being here with me. Boyd has done his homework. He has been, you know, ready and faithful. He's the one that's been pushing me to do this podcast, so I really uh, appreciate uh, his camaraderie and uh, being a, a great friend at, at work and pushing me to do this podcast because it probably wouldn't be around if he hadn't been pushing me. And then I asked him if he wanted to be my first guest, and I think he was wondering why he was pushing me after that. But we're going to go to our last question, the big finale. How has music impacted your life? I'll just leave you with this. Then. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about music being more than just about songs and guitar solos and 
and drum beats. I remember just from just playing in a lot of different places, I have a couple of vivid, really vivid memories. One of those is, you know, in the midst of playing in, you know, different places all the way up and down the East Coast, further out West. One day, I, we were playing in Natchez, Mississippi, Mississippi, and I sat on the riverbank in Natchez, and I just watched a barge slowly go down the Mississippi River for about an hour. I remember I'd been playing, we'd been in this environment where, you know, high energy, and I just sat there and watched that barge go down the river for about an hour. It really changed my concept of time because it wasn't speeding down a highway or in a big truck. It was moving very slowly. And as I watched it, I felt like time was slowing down for me. Every year after high school, I played with childhood music teacher. His name was Douglas, we called him Doc Anderson. And so for decades, I just always made that time every year to play with him on New Year's Eve. You know, he was a really great influence on me. I just remember right up until shortly before his passing, we always had that chance to play one gig together. When he passed away, that also changed my concept of time. Music has been there every step of the way for the slow down and enjoy life period when I was sitting on the, the banks of the Mississippi River to mourning someone that was a, a great influence on my life. This is the impact that music has on Boyd's life. This is the impact that music has on a lot of your lives out there in the audience. You know, this is why we take this passion for this music and we talk about these things. I don't even know when was the first time that Boyd and I got together and talked about him playing drums or me being a DJ and stuff like that, but I'm glad we did. I'm glad that we have had those times where we've been able to talk about that. I'm glad that we've had this time today that we've been able to talk about your influences. And I really appreciate your willingness to be my first guest. I also appreciate you pushing me to do this podcast, you know, because here we are with equipment, with microphones. You know, you wouldn't know that we're in a library right now because I guess we're supposed to be quiet, but we are in a room. So hopefully we're not making too much noise and we're doing, you know, we're doing this podcast. Boyd's here contributing to it, and I really do appreciate you. Uh, do you have anything final to say before we uh, get on out of here? Uh, just reiterate, how long ago was it that we first talked about a podcast? Oh, man, it's probably been, I don't know, maybe a year ago. I don't. I, it, does it seem that long? So there again, enjoy it. Time goes by quick, man. Time goes by quick. Music is a part of how we experience our life as we grow older. Boyd kept pushing me and pushing me. You know, when you have somebody doing that, it's it, it's a double-edged sword because, one, you don't want to tell anybody what your dream is. And then the other thing is when you have somebody pushing you towards that dream, you're like, okay, why did I tell them to do it? Because now I got to buy equipment. I got to do all this kind of stuff. But he just kept after me and kept, you know, influencing me to do this. So I really do appreciate him being here. So thanks for going under the musical influence of today's guest, Boyd Headley, on Under the Influence with DJ Johnny Bravo. I also want to give a thanks and a shout-out to Year of October for the Rocking Drops that they supplied and Sweetwater for the equipment. Go under the influence on Instagram at DJ Johnny Bravo underscore under the influence and that's DJ J-O-N-N-I B-R-A-V-O underscore under the influence. Please subscribe to Under the Influence with DJ Johnny Bravo wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Johnny Bravo. I will see you next time. Goodbye.
are no longer under the influence with DJ Johnny Bravo. Until next week. <laughs>